Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mindful You podcast. I'm Alan Carroll. I'm your host. And today I interviewed Tina Irwin. And Tina is a psychic, meaning that there's the physical world and the metaphysical world. And she is able to go back and forth from the physical world to the metaphysical world. And for the last studied metaphysics for gaining insight into mystical worlds of magic, of spirituality, she's written eight books on metaphysics. And her writings come from a intense desire to know and understand the hard science, not the woo-woo science, but the hard science behind the unseen world of action and reaction, combined with a sincere desire to share this understanding with other knowledge seekers. And so that's part of her biography. Another part of her biography is she was an officer in the United States uh, submarine, Navy sub submarines for 20 years. She was one of the first female officers on sub submarines. And she said often she would notice that a lot of the decisions that were made by captains were sometimes intuitive not by the book like they were able to connect with something greater than themselves so she combines that military discipline and show me facts and she combines that and marries it to the metaphysical wonderful a healer wonderful insights and so it is just exciting to be able to have her on on the show and for her to be able to share her wisdom uh, from years and years of experience. So please welcome Tina Irwin to the Mindful You podcast. Thank you. Tina, welcome to the Thank Mindful you, you podcast. Thank you so much, Alan, for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. Well, the opportunity of having a conversation with someone who has such rich experiences uh, is, is is a gift. Um, and in our, our conversation we had before, uh, we were talking about the importance of, of, of the discipline. And that came from our conversation of you being a career military officer. So you have that background. I'd just like to jump a little bit into your background uh, and then sort of let our audience feel a little bit of the evolution that, that you've gone through that has brought you to where you are right now in, in this level of awareness and consciousness. Well, thank you for that, that opportunity. I joined the Navy in 1972 because 
you really couldn't get hired at a decent salary. You know, I graduated with a degree in industrial relations and nobody would hire me. And I didn't want to be a martyr. Martyrs lead a really awful life. And I wanted to have some fun. And so I thought, gee, I'll see if I can join the Navy. And I did. I was their first female officer and you know, in a really, really long time from the state of North Carolina where I was living. And my first day at my first duty station, I met my husband and we were both stationed at submarine base, New London. And I receded for all the crypto gear for all 688 class new construction submarines. And then eventually I was the first female officer in the history of submarine school. And I taught the sealed authenticator system, which tells the commanding officer of a submarine how to authenticate the message that says to launch a missile. So the Navy provides you with an astonishing amount of responsibility really, really early. And you get to meet some of the most remarkable men you could ever imagine. Real patriots, people who care brilliant brilliant minds and i mean and if you're pretty weak they just eat you for lunch so um i had a blast and i learned that when you are on a submarine you have to feel the ship it doesn't matter whether it's a submarine or a surface ship these are men who have gut instincts and it's those gut instincts that save lives. They, these are men who listen to something. They wouldn't call it a higher self or they don't have a fancy name, but it's the same thing. And I have a deep and abiding respect for these men, including my own husband who spent 42 years at sea And these men would tell you, I had a bad feeling about this, or I knew something was going to happen. And some of them told me, some of them actually saved, there's one astonishing story where this guy saved 129 lives because he listened to something that was not quantifiable and he changed history. And When you are observing these things, you don't go, oh, well, that's neat. You go, but wait a minute. That is amazing. These aren't psychic guys. They would never use such a term. And I I wouldn't use that term with them. I would respect that they had a feeling and that they, they paid attention to it. I had one captain of a submarine who I'd known for years and years. I mean, I, I, I made friends with all these guys. Because uh, they taught me so many things. Gosh, I mean, what a schoolhouse. And he said, you know, I knew my navigator was bad. I did everything in my power to remove him from my ship. I I told Admiral Rickover, I documented it. And when we hit that Russian submarine, I had a bad feeling something was going to happen. And so when you start listening to what these men experienced, You know, without saying, oh, well, I don't know if I believe that. Instead of discounting it, you listen on another level and you learn how when you deliberately submerge a billion dollar vessel with a hundred between 125 to 
50 lives, depending on whether it's a fast attack or a ballistic missile submarine, you had better know what you're doing. You had better feel your crew. What is that? If it's not a spiritual part of you that is not quantifiable. And so that's what got me started. I've always been a psychic person from the time I was a little kid. It's not like you're running around talking about it, especially in the military. People think you're crazy. But there are there are a lot of really, really intuitive human beings that are in the military. And one of the most famous was uh, General George C. Patton. Patton frequently spoke to God. Patton had ex- Patton had amazing experiences. And I, I am a student of history. And when you look at how so many of these men in horrendous situations called upon God, not spirit, but God, God, please help me in this moment. Uh, it is amazing. <clears throat> I also studied survivors. I studied the stories of survivors of the Holocaust in World War II. And when I, there were some of these Uh, especially men who were futurists, they had to believe there was going to be a future beyond the moment they were in. And they held on so tight to that spiritual future. They survived when others gave up and died of depression, loneliness, and terror, because the Nazis were terrifying. I have a frog in my voice. No worries. No worries. <laughs> Take a breath. <sighs> ah. So that's how I got started on this path because I'm a person who studies everything. How does the submarine work? How does the mind work? And my mother worked for a psychiatrist for seven years, and she discussed every single case with me when I was in high school. <laughs> So I have a somewhat unusual background, which really benefited me in the Navy because I could I could quickly identify a variety of different types of character disorders and or whether or not someone was psychotic and whether or not they were dangerous. So that when I referred them to, you know, a professional, you know, in a military hospital, I could speak a language that would mean I would be taken seriously and this person would receive the help that they needed. The military is only about people. And it's only about how people relate to a belief in themselves. And if you have no belief beyond that there's nothing else but this, there is a loneliness that pervades the soul. And I, I began to see that. And what the military gives people is a belief in something greater than yourself. Corporations can't do that. People who have private businesses or consulting um, firms or private practice, they believe in something more than themselves, especially their clients. And I have a lot of private clients. But when... When you're part of a team, and I love that. I love my wardroom. I loved, I had 150 men work for me at any given time. 
sometimes I had a lot of women too, but mostly it was just men. And they had the same problems that anybody else has. They had an illness in the family or their wife had a problem or somebody's an alcoholic or there's a drug problem or they were sexually abused or fill in the blank. And what they needed isn't necessarily a military solution. It's a human solution. And I'll give you one of my favorite examples. I was executive officer for a submarine training facility in San Diego. And we had this guy who was a big guy. I mean, he had muscles. He had to slit his sleeves. He's such a big man. He was our sailor of the quarter. He just beat the bejesus out of his wife. Well, we sent him to anger management school. We sent him to, you know, psychiatric care. We did all of these things. So one day he comes and he sits at my desk and he says, Commander, what's the big deal? So I beat my wife. Nobody's perfect. And and the, the female in me wanted to just reach out and strangle him. That would be the, that's the truth. But the better part of me sat back. He wasn't being disrespectful to me. In that moment, he was honest. And I said, petty officer, whatever your name is, did your daddy beat you? He said, yes, ma'am. He beat me every day, but good. And I said, did your grandfather beat your dad? Yes, ma'am. He tanned his hat. Oh, he used to tell me how badly he was beaten. And then I waited, you know, you, you know, wait a beat. And he looked at me and he said, doesn't everybody get beaten when they grow up? And I said, no, it's called assault. And if somebody beat your wife on the street like you beat her, they would be put in prison for assault. And if you continue to beat your wife and you have an adorable little girl, for a thousand years, your family will continue to beat each other unless you have the power and the courage to change. And I can send you to a thousand schools, but that change has to come from inside of you. You have to want to change the future for a thousand years. Do you have the courage and the strength within you to do that? And he looked at me and he blinked and he said, I, I never looked at it that way. Nobody ever explained it like that. Why didn't they ever talk to me like that? I said, I don't know, but I, I can hear you. I can hear that you're not a bad man. You're just part of a pattern. And it's the bad pattern that has to be changed. So if you separate the goodness of the person from the pattern, then you give the in individual the opportunity to save enough face to be able to change. Now, I would love to tell you that he never beat his wife again, but two weeks later he got transferred and I don't know what happened. But I like to believe that perhaps in that moment, something shifted for him. So that's how I got started on all this. That's a, that's a, that's a, a beautiful story. Tears <laughs> come to my eyes. Very, very beautiful. Uh, you you said the ability to separate yourself from the pattern uh, 
let's talk about the level of awareness you have to be to have the realization that you're in a pattern in order to separate yourself from the pattern. I liken it to having a starfish on your forehead like this. You have a starfish on your face. You're so used to looking around the arms of the starfish. You can't see it's kind of sucking you dry. So you need someone outside of yourself to come up and say, excuse me, you've, you've got a starfish on your head. Can, can I help you with that? Let's take it off and, and put it down over here. Now what's your view like? Oh my gosh, I can see so much better. And if I work with a client, I help them go back and back and back to understand the longevity of the pattern, what their victimization and or role is in the pattern and what steps they can take to change it. And this is spiritual progress because many times a pattern has gone on for lifetimes. I do past life regressions too. People are murdered by the same person, life after life. They're raped by the same person, life after life after life. I've studied Edith Fiore's work and Raymond Moody and Bruce Goldberg, all these amazing people. When you look at what that historical foundation is, we can change our future if we can create an awareness that we have that power. So I have many... we can create, we can change the future if we have awareness that we have the power, the, the power to do what? The power to recognize the pattern and then change it. So to be able to recognize something going on in this moment of now requires you to be able to be a space between you and the something that you're that you're looking at. That's correct. Okay. And it also requires someone to gently point out that what you thought was real might have a different interpretation. And I, I've had so many clients who were so abused. I have a lot of women who never had children because they were so horribly sexually abused that they they needed to heal themselves. So I give them a great deal of credit for not wanting to perpetrate additional abuse on a child when they hadn't healed themselves because the subconscious of an individual is frozen at their earliest trauma. That's a really powerful statement, which I've been working with the subconscious of, you know, thousands of clients. If the subconscious of a person is frozen at the age of their earliest trauma, and I'll use my father as an example. When my father was six, his father went to Paris for the National Exhibition or the Paris World's Fair, and he died there. So his father died. He never saw him again. His mother came to America to set up shop. And he was given to his grandmother who beat him every day. My father was frozen at the age of seven. 
He didn't have either parent for a long time. And the, and the grandparent he had was abusive. And he was a child in a big body so much of his life. And God bless him, he tried. He really tried. And the insecurity he felt was so difficult to overcome. Because one of the one of the things we all have to understand is the impact our parents have on us. There are no perfect parents. I love Mitch Albom's book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. And in the early stages of his book, he says all parents damage their children, just some parents do it worse than others. I'm sure you've heard of Mitch. Remarkable author. I read a lot of authors. And um because everyone offers you something. That's right. That's right. And, and when I'm I look at my father or I look at the things that happened to my mother and they they were in resonance with each other. She was abused as a child. Her father was horribly abusive. Her mother was a private duty nurse and she was always gone. So here you have two people who were abused. They had the same resonant frequency of somewhat of abuse. Now they're married. They did not abuse their four children, for which I am truly grateful. I didn't mean we had perfect childhoods, but to their credit, they really, really tried to provide us with better childhoods than they had. You bet. And so to a degree, they were able to separate what happened to them from perpetrating it on all of us. And isn't that the hope each of us have when we have children where we'll be able to provide more or better or more stable for our children than we had. So when I'm working with a client, especially someone who has been abused and sexual abuse is among the most hideous. And if we're going to talk metaphysics, sexual abuse is an initiation into the dark side because it is a, it is a power center in the body. And if you study all of the elements that come with metaphysics, you also have, it's like a doctor has to look at germs, bacteria, viruses, and mold. How do they infiltrate the body? And what's the long-term effect? The long-term effect of child abuse, especially sexual abuse, is that it separates the child from their higher self. It separates the subconscious is the gatekeeper to higher self. If you have frozen that subconscious at the age of that hideous trauma, that subconscious sometimes hides. Very difficult for that subconscious then to connect to higher self because the subconscious is the gatekeeper. And this was astonishing to me because I, you know, I work with, I help people understand they have a conscious, a subconscious, and a superconscious. And if you want to be on the spiritual path, you have to know how to contact your superconscious, your higher self. Is it some great mystical thing? Not really. It's much more straightforward. I mean, it doesn't have to be mystical. I mean, you can make it mystical, but if you're really honest, it's pretty straightforward. And the 
process I use goes back to a tradition that goes back to the original 12 tribes, which is Huna. Have you ever heard of Huna? H-U-N-A? Nope. Um, I actually brought this book. It's called Huna, A Beginner's Guide by Enid Hoffman. I don't know what beginner she's talking about because this is not for the faint-hearted. Um, but one of my teachers introduced me to Huna. There's only one sin in the Huna tradition, which is a Hawaiian tradition. The great Kahuna, um, it goes all the way back to the original, some of the original beings on the planet and the laws that they set down for human beings to follow to lead happy and prosperous lives included the element of spirituality and continuing to connect to the higher self and our connections to God. I'm not a person who uses the word spirit. Spirit is alcohol. If you're going to, if you're going to connect, be specific. So in the Huna tradition, there's only one sin and that's hurting one of the three selves, your conscious, your subconscious, and your superconscious. If you're constantly saying, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, you know, um, I knew a mom who was constantly telling her a little girl, she was a fatty, she was a little hippo, she's a baby elephant. So the girl was enormous. She grew up to be what her mother believed about her. And when the conscious self can't see itself as, as whole, perfect, and complete, that's a problem. The job of the subconscious is to keep you alive. Your eyes blink, your heart beat, the blood to flow. And the conscious self develops all the plans for your life. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. We don't get very far unless you have a relationship with your subconscious. And one of the things I teach clients is how to build that relationship with their subconscious. Your subconscious helps you remember things. Your subconscious warns you, don't do that. And as you begin to honor that part of you, that unsung hero inside of you, you get this door opening to the light of the divine and higher self. As you engage in more prayer, this is outside the confines of religion and dogma and scripture. This is the most basic element of the priesthood of all believers. You should be able to pray to God without an intermediary. Thank you, Martin Luther, for that. And when a client is able to understand that they have that power and you have reinvigorated their subconscious and you've worked to heal their conscious self, then the client can begin to make some powerful changes. Not everyone can do that. It requires a great deal of insight and willingness to face some really tough things. But if you can do it, you can change your life. So, so rich, so rich, like eating cake. Very, very rich. And also very, very clear. It's uh, I, I like, I like the clarity of your, of your speaking about something that's abstract. That's really a that's really a gift to be able to frame it in different ways, um, and I 
I I'm a big fan of the of creating the buffer zone of space. Um, and to me, the creation of space requires you to have to take something out in order to create the space. And so that's the, uh, but the key is observation of, of what, what that something is uh, outside of the pattern. Uh, my favorite movie is the, is the matrix one where they use the red pill in order to get Neo outside of the thought of the matrix to wake up. And to me, waking up is like a lucid dream where you dream at night, dream, dream, dream. And then once in a while, boom, you wake up in the dream. And that was a, 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 a an altering of consciousness that was just gave me tingles. I, I always thought it'd be nice to have lucid dreams. And I, when you were talking about the uh, the captain of the ship intuitively, I used the word intuitively sensing something uh, beyond the physical reality of logic. Uh, to me, it's the more still you become in speaking, the more still you become physically, the calmer you are. And it's like the leaves are settling down and the wind is no longer blowing and things are settling and settling down. Uh, and, and and then that, to me, creates a, 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 a the word curtain comes up in my mind, a, a curtain between myself and the, the metaphysical. And that curtain begins to fade away. And my ego seems to fade away, too, uh, as I as I shift from that. Um, and when I was reading your bio, I I was I, I wanted to talk about the black magic and the white magic, uh, and and uh, you also you, you you introduced it a little bit earlier, saying the dark side, the 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 child sexual molestation of children is is part of the dark the dark side, and so I'd like to just hear you talk a little bit about white magic and black magic. Well, all thought is energy. Basically, all thought is a form of magic because it's it creates what you think you create. And well, so wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> go, no, no, no. You want to go slow on that one? I, <laughs> that was like a home run. So I want to I want to make sure people understood that was just a home run. Go when, ahead. Spend some more when, time about that. When you are thinking about something. It is part of a creative process. I studied with a remarkable man named Dr. Ibrahim Karim. He was the founder of biogeometry. I just adore this man. And he talked about creation in a way I'd never heard anyone discuss it. I'm an art freak. I have hundreds and hundreds of paintings and there is a creative element to all of the art that surrounds me. And what Dr. Kareem explained, and I, I'm trying to be really careful. I give credit to the people whose original idea it was. So if someone wants to look it up, they are certainly welcome. Don't just believe me. Do your own due diligence. When you create, you connect to God. My father was a furniture designer, and when he was designing beautiful furniture, he would have on Mozart and Chopin and Schumann and Bach, Beethoven, 
because the frequency of the music, it's like it opened up the pathways for him to feel the divine live within him. And he created beautiful things. And when that happened, he was an amazing designer. And so when I look at every piece of art I have on the wall, whether it's a photograph, a painting, or a sculpture, or a bronze, the artist is sharing with me their connection to the divine. That thought, that creation is divine. And the more beautiful it is, the higher the frequency. There's a whole dissertation on frequency. And when you are thinking, your thoughts program your cells. And the person who did the work on this, who also worked with Dr. Kareem briefly, was Dr. Masuro Emoto, who wrote Messages from Water. And Dr. Emoto proved that words impact the water in our cells. And when we say you are beautiful or your work is wonderful or I love you, the cell, the water in the cells is charged with light. But when someone says I hate you or they are abusing you or it's a terrible word, Dr. Emoto proved that it causes a distortion of the water molecules. This is about as hard science as you're going to ever get. So all thought is energy. How am I doing so far? Oh, I love it. I, 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 I use the, the paintbrush on the canvas, trying to explain that if I can control the thoughts, I control the paintbrush that paints the 35 millimeter slide that then I project onto the reality in which I'm looking at. And That's exactly and, right. Yep. So go on. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. I love it. Well, when you are creating a thought, if all you've ever heard as a child are negative things, I had one woman who was just, her father beat her every day. She was 6'1". She was a tall, she was a beautiful woman, just tall. And I do a group, uh, I did it for years, a monthly group called Light Times, and we would come and discuss metaphysical topics. And I wrote all the handout. I wrote 70 different handouts for all the different topics. And as she was leaving, I heard this voice say, ask her if she wants an appointment. And and I had my foot on the line of spiritual law because you can't tell somebody they need to have an appointment with you. But someone said, if she leaves, she'll kill herself. You have to say something. So I said, have you have you ever considered maybe we should work together? I have an opening next week. And she said, yes, yes. Oh, I would love to do that. I said, okay. And she went home. She didn't kill herself that night. And she told me that was her plan years later. And in this woman's story, she had been so abused by her father. He was this horrible, horrible man. And she'd been to, I don't know how many different, people for help and they all told her her husband was the problem so I asked her if I could speak to her husband and she adored him he was the sweetest kindest man and I just didn't understand why everyone kept saying he was the problem he wasn't her father and her mother were the problem and I when we're sitting 
talking face to face, I asked her, I said, when your father beat you, what did your mother do? She didn't say anything. And I said, when your father was beating your sister into mental retardation because of the shaken baby syndrome, which he did, which he should have been sent to prison for assault. What did your mother do? She just stood there. When I was crying in the closet, she would come and stand over me and say, I must have deserved it because that's why he beat me. I said, did she ever once comfort you in any way? No, she'd leave him sometimes, but we'd always come back. I grew to be six foot one and he couldn't beat me anymore because I was taller than he was. And only then would he leave me alone. I was covered with black and blue marks. And this principal and the teacher were horrified. But my mother begged them not to say anything. And then he just kept beating me. And I said, I need, and she said, you know, and I just love my mother so much. And I said, well, I, I'm going to kind of break this bubble a little bit. Problem is not your husband. And ironically, it's not your father. Your mother is the biggest abuser because it's the sin of omission. She stood there and watched him brutalize two children. And she did nothing, absolutely nothing to defend you. And she always came back for the abuse. Your mother is the largest abuser. And I have a feeling you've been angry at her for a really long time. And it's like, you know, I pulled the little thing out of the dam and bam, all this emotion came out. And I said, do you have any photographs of your father as a child? She said, I do. I don't do this with every client, but I did it with her. She brought all of her family photos. So we went back a couple generations and we looked at the children and we could identify the date, the age, they all, all of the abuse started because I said, do you see it in their faces? This is generational and it's wrong. All of this is wrong. What they did to you was wrong. She said, really? And, and then I did this odd thing. I said, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened to you. You didn't deserve those things. And again, it's like I pushed a button and the tears came. I want you to know, I think you are the finest, most wonderful person, the sweetest, kindest person. And you didn't beat your children, did you? No. And I said, and you're such a good person that you married the finest husband you could have married. He's been with you. He's been loyal and true to you. And it hasn't been easy. And it's just this acknowledgement of how hard it's been for her. It's just feeling that she could be loved and that what her mother did was not love. It was the worst abuse. She never stood up to him. And I said, that was your mother's challenge. That was one of the biggest things she was here to do in this lifetime. She just didn't choose to do it. She didn't choose to take that opportunity. That is not your fault. You gave her ample opportunities and so did your sister who's now in a group home because she, her brain is fried and you have been a loyal sister to her. 
And we resolved so many issues. There were lawsuits, there were all these horrible things. And one by one, as she healed, all these other separate little things began to heal. Slowly but surely. And in each time, I would remind her, because it was the truth. I'm not making this up. She's a really good person. She was a wonderful wife, a loving mother, a genuine friend. And as she began, it's like I'm healing all those little water molecules inside of her with the gentleness of words. Her husband had been trying to do it. He needed someone in his court. And he and I started to work together like a, a, a combined action and their marriage became significantly better. Her happiness became better. They began to go out to do different things. And she did not ever kill herself. And that sounds like a small accomplishment, but for her to have lived for her to live a whole life. And, and, sh and she said to me, do I have to forgive them? And I said, I'm not the forgiveness police. Forgiveness comes at a moment in time when you're ready. You can't order it. You can't legislate it. It has to happen at a time and place that works for you. The Jews forgave the Nazis because they said it set them free. They weren't forever the prisoner of the Nazis, but they didn't forget. And that's a key point. Just because forgiveness isn't a free pass. Oh, well, I forgive you so you could do it again. And that's not what that means. It means you set yourself free. What that person did earned them the karma of their actions. Your forgiveness doesn't change the karma that is earned for that particular set of actions. So um, that's where I'm going with that. The, the idea of sin and the idea of salvation, the forgiveness of sin is clearly stated several places all over in the Bible. And the key to forgiveness, the key to salvation is forgiveness. Forgiveness of what? For me, it must be in my movie that I'm painting in my mind, I have these brown spots where I hold grievances about what happened to me. And, and that becomes my identity. And, and I'm in the preservation of my identity business, not the letting go of my identity business. So how do you get people to the, the letting go of the identity in order to practice the forgiveness when it's appropriate? I would say that's a real challenge and no one lives a life without being hurt, without being betrayed, without being abused in some way, without experience. When you don't need an experience anymore, it just stops happening. I mean, that's kind of a spiritual law. You have experiences so you can learn from them. When you've taken every last ounce you feel like you can learn from them, then you can recount as difficult as it was the value of the experience. When you are conscious of the value of the experience, 
then it opens a doorway for you to then forgive the person that perpetrated it. And I, like I say, I don't know of anyone who can go through a mortal life or multiple lives and not have difficult experiences. And we live life after life after life so that we can work through them all. And remember, I was so angry one time and my, one of my um, teachers said, you have to get this right this lifetime. You have to resolve this. I was really angry at my mother-in-law because I knew I had conscious memory that she was responsible for my death in a previous life. And it was crystal clear. It wasn't like somebody told me and I could see it. I have a lot of people have memory of previous lives. So that's a psychic quality. Psychics are able to do things like that. Yes. Well, I have that. I have somewhat of that ability. Yes. (laughs) And, but I didn't tell her that she just hated me on site. And when I saw, (laughs) when I saw her, I started vomiting and it was not, it was my subconscious recognizing a previous threat. So because of all of the studies, and then I was working with my teacher He said, how many lifetimes are you going to go before you come to terms with this woman? You have to figure this out. And I realized I was holding rage. No one is exempt from this, certainly not me. I was holding this rage from a past life. And she wasn't much better this life. What she was turned out to be an opportunity. There are certain, again, spiritual laws. You can't change anyone else. You can only change yourself. You can't want something from someone else that they don't want for themselves. And you can't want something from someone they have no capacity to give you. Those are are given hard, fast rules. And what I realized took me, took, you know, working with him, it took me a little while. And then I realized that she really had no power over me anymore. I was wearing the ruby slippers and I forgot that I had them on and that she had no power anymore and that she wasn't going to kill me this lifetime. She just didn't like me. Okay, I wasn't her choice. I get it. And we hadn't spoken to her in 14 years. As my daughter says, I gave new meaning to time out. She did something I felt was pretty unforgivable. So um, what we what we did was I didn't like who I was when I was near her. It's like my whole personality changed. And I felt that if we didn't have contact, that I could find some way to come to terms with who she was and how to have a relationship with her. In cosmic time, that's actually pretty quick. And we did. We we did reach out to her, set up some ground rules, and we rebuilt the relationship with with each other, my husband and, and she and I. And we were able to establish some ground rules that worked And she was able to tell me that she loved me. And I was able to say that I loved her too. And it turns out she was very generous to our children. 
And she, she changed not because I made her change, but because I changed. Right, right, right. And, and I'm sharing that story because, you know, and I didn't go to perfect school. I came to mortal school and that makes, that makes a difference. Uh, she, she didn't, <laughs> things were still pretty hard with my sister-in-law, but we helped, we helped her by managing the estate when my mother-in-law died and for which my sister-in-law was deeply, deeply grateful. And in a lot of families, you have fighting over an estate. There was no fighting. There was a hundred percent agreement with everything. And when you do that, it makes everything so much smoother. So now when I look back on that experience with her, the Tibetans say your enemy is your greatest teacher. And I want you to know I got a PhD from her. <laughs> it's uh, the ability to uh, see something terrible and be able to paint it one way in your mind, and therefore that's what you see, and then being able to change the way you are interpreting what you are seeing, and then all of a sudden when you watch the movie outside, the movie matches the, the what you see. Uh, and 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 that to me we mentioned before is is a uh, the power of observation uh, the power of being a witness to what's going on and to me that's like a, a lucid dream it's it's just like waking up in a dream world the, the, the dream of thought that we don't even know we're in a dream of thought but it's like a dream of thought but you don't know you're in a dream of thought until you can wake up from the dream of thought and to me that's that space you talked about the the ability to create that metaphysical space because space is space is is, is it's not physical space is a metaphysical uh, and yes it's beyond the physics we think we know that's exactly right but and it's available uh, and it, it, it's there, there's five elements earth air fire water and space yes and people sort of you know, space yeah I, 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 that's not that important well Space has been told to be the, the mother of the other four elements because something comes out of nothing and nothing is going to be space. Um, and so the the, the key um, is that ability to create the space. And you have certainly and when you create the space, you can you can tap a frequency that that allows you entry into a portal that's available to everybody is the way I, I see it. And you talked about frequencies. And I, I, I remember frequencies are magic things. If you have the right frequency, abracadabra, bam, 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 bam. And you're doing a frequency with your words and opens up the, 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 the lock. Um, and so you mentioned frequencies, and I, I know I, I need to get to the completion of our, of our podcast uh, because it's it just uh, it's it's just uh, it, it, there's so many avenues that are that are tickling my body, uh, <laughs> and the the frequency conversation I think is a real important conversation, uh, and you seem to be a, a subject matter expert on frequencies. So I'd like to suggest if it works for you, we'll schedule another podcast. Uh, that would we, be really that'd be awesome. I've written two books on frequency, so yeah. yeah so. Perfect. Perfect. 
Now, before we complete this podcast, uh, is there uh, how how does one connect with you and the work that you're doing? I actually have two websites, tinairwin.com, it's Irwin with an E, or ghosthelpers.com, because I do teach the living to help the dead. It's another one of the little things I do. And to help the dead without a medium, you shouldn't have to pay a medium to help your loved one. And the opportunity to, to help someone is really the whole purpose of mortal life is to be of service to others is, is truly the, the bottom line. And, and I'm so grateful that you gave me an opportunity to share some thoughts today and maybe something that we said will trigger something in another person and we will have helped someone today. And that that is really what I live for. I started the uh, beginning for the podcast with a prayer. And the prayer was to ask divine light to become present and allow us to manifest something with the divine light of our conversation today. So we're we're on the we're on the same frequency. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I enjoyed the conversation, obviously, Tina, and I look forward to the next opportunity we have to to sparkle the space. Sounds fantastic. Thank you. All righty. Thank you for listening, and please catch us on the next great episode of the Mindful You podcast, and please share us with your friends and fellow travelers on the path.